Welcome to the History and Music Podcast. This is Scott Gifford, and I'm joined by my one and only host, Sean Oborn. How's it going? Hey, man. Hey. Um, we're also joined by a man of no small reputation, uh, Tiberius. Um, welcome to the History and Music Podcast. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure is ours. It's good to finally meet you and have you on. Yes. You've, you've chosen an excellent song. We heard the the intro. It it's definitely lively and and sounds pretty fun. So I'm really excited to get into it. But yeah, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I'm uh just chilling right now. Uh, it's definitely. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Utah, so it's snowy outside, which is nice. Uh, get to go see the Christmas lights. That's must be northern. U- must be northern Utah because I'm also in Utah and it is not snowy outside here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, we got dumped on last night a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, the the sleet, right? Yeah, I got where I'm at. I got I got like four or five inches. So I, I was out shoveling this morning. That was fun. Yeah, snow's always good. I love it. So well, that's good. You're in the right place. Yeah, my uh, my wife hates it. So I don't know. She just hates driving in it. Well, oh, move yeah. down, um, move move down here, man. It hardly snows down here, dude. We were uh, we were this close a couple of years ago to moving to Cedar, which is still snowy. So that's my stake. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I have family down there, and it's a beautiful place. So, oh, nice. Anyway, Tiberius, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm just a right wing anon poster uh, from Twitter, <laughs> and nice. I really like music, so that's why I'm on here. Uh, but I no, I'm from San Diego, but I live in Utah right now, and mm-hmm. I I did a ton of history in both college and like post college. So historical songs for me are always like really interesting when I actually get to listen to them because they don't come up a lot. I'm a I'm a huge metal fan. And so when when this one first came into my feed, I was uh my eyes definitely lit up because awesome. You know, just like I I don't know how familiar you guys are with like the golden age of piracy. But like this is this song. Uh, I mean, the song's called 1741, but it's like set right in the middle of that entire era. So I'm, I'm very not familiar with it. So with that I don't know, golden age of piracy, I didn't know there was one. I knew that there was kind of an age of piracy, but yeah, that's exciting. It sounds yeah. like you, you, uh, so you, you've, you've, uh, studied, studied previously this, this era. And so this song, uh, struck a chord. Yeah. Um, I took a couple classes that were about piracy actually in college and, as interesting as they were, uh, it's definitely one thing to have a professor drone on about it. It's another thing to have a, a you know, a metal band sing a jig about it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You prefer the professor one, right? <laughs> uh, for sure, definitely. Uh, no, the, you know, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. It's true. Yeah, speaking of, well, the, the album, we'll talk about this later, but the album this song comes from is Sunset on the Golden Age, and it's referring to the end of the Age of Piracy. So I was aware mm-hmm. that that there was an Age of Piracy, and that there was an end of the Age of Piracy, and it was roughly around this time period. Um, but, yeah, it's a good yeah, song, no, man. Most of the, like, elementary, middle school, like, pirate facts you'll hear um, for people about, you know, like, Blackbeard or, like, Annie and Bonnie. Um, those are like the, the like twilight of the golden age of piracy, because you can all tell they met horrible ends, like in the middle here, um, where the song is like set, I guess it's like a free for all 
for all free for alls. Yeah. Hmm. So can I ask a non pirate related question of you, Mr. Tiberius? I'm afraid I only answer pirate related questions. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe you'll humor me then. Um, So I'm assuming is Tiberius like your favorite emperor? Uh, Actually, no. Um, I, because he would, he would, he, he would be for me, but definitely top five. I chose uh, Tiberius because he's the more well-known name of Tiberius II, um, the Byzantine emperor. Oh, um, okay. The Tiberius II is the slit-nosed emperor, and he's one of the few to... Um, he lost his emperorship and then came back. And so I really just like liked... There's like a lot of Romans who are named Tiberius, and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't actually like the second emperor of Rome that much. But it's a cool name, and I like a ton of other Tiberiuses, so why not? There you go. Tiberius is Constantine. Isn't that Constantine, or is that a different one? Um, no, I I'd have to look it up again because I know I know because you're right because in in especially in Latin they, they weren't too creative with the names, and uh, especially it was like they passed it from father to son, so you'd have like eight you know Juliuses or eight Tiberiuses or eight you know. Brutus or whatever, but Tiberius the second, he's known as Tiberius the second Constantine. And I don't know if that, I mean, maybe it's cause he's from Constantinople, yeah. but, uh, I, I might be thinking of a, of a different, uh, oh no, you're fine. I'm not trying to like quiz you on yeah. it, but, um, <laughs> but I will, I will say, I think that's, I think that should be, that should be the new, um, the, the new like test for when you're talking to somebody. You know, like if you're single and you want to figure out if you like this girl or not, or like you want to see if someone's cool. It's like, Hey, what's your favorite emperor? And don't even oh, specify, yeah. don't even specify like which, which empire, you know, mm-hmm. cause they might say something like, Oh, like Emperor Palpatine from star Wars. I'm like, no, <laughs> okay, pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're choosing the Carolingian empire, then uh, I'm going to have to pass. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. But if they, if they're choosing like Holy Roman, uh, Russian, you know, the, the Russian, uh, Latin, you know, Latin or, or the, uh, Roman or, you know, the later, um, Eastern, Eastern Roman. Mm-hmm. It's good, good by me yeah i mean you know the the favorite party question is uh when did the roman empire end and if anybody answers anything that isn't 1917 then they're wrong so <laughs> exactly all right so tiberius what uh we kind of uh based on the song and some of the context here we kind of get some clues about your musical tastes but um tell us about your musical tastes but what do you what are you into yeah so uh, growing up, my dad was always like a a classic rock and then Japanese rock actually fan. Um, so I listened to, you know, like a ton of like the Smiths, like the Beach Boys, stuff like that. And then when I started getting older, I really got into like hard rock and metal. But I, I really hate like the like the harsh vocals or like the growling that mm-hmm. a lot of metal artists will do. Yeah. So like I, I fell into like this weird camp where I basically exclusively listen to metal um, but almost always exclusively listen to like female fronted metal artists. Um, which is weird because this song is definitely not from a, a metal band that has a female singer. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's like a very like specific genre. And so I usually listen to that and then, um, like Japanese rock still like classic rock. Um, but usually my taste are like, as long as the song is good and the, like the lyrics aren't like deplorable, um, mm-hmm. I, I usually like listening to it, although I really don't like slow songs unless they're also like sad. If it's like a happy <laughs> slow song, I'm like, what's wrong with this song? <laughs> <laughs> so what drew you to metal? Uh, I think 
what drew me to metal is like listening to like metal versus like listening to like classic rock. Um, metal's a lot more like enthusiastic in terms of like how much of the the time for a song is filled with different instruments. Like it's it's pretty rare in a metal song for it to just be vocals or just be a guitar unless it's you know a guitar solo. And so I I really like listening to songs that are like pretty filled up, I guess. Mm-hmm. That where they like they don't have a lot of dead time or they don't have a lot of um just like slow parts. And that's uh that's where metal's at. I mean EDM is too, but yeah. Have you ever listened to or ever heard of uh, a band called X Japan? <laughs> uh, no, actually. Are they made up of ex Japanese people? Uh, no, they're 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 current Japanese people. Surprise, oh, okay. surprise, Asians. Um, <laughs> so that's a that's a callback callback to the Granite Mountain podcast. Um, but no, it, they're they're like an they're like a eighties hair metal band from Japan, but because mm-hmm. they're Japanese, they're like even more so, and. Uh, <laughs> They're definitely from like the 80s and 90s, but they have a song called uh, Silent Jealousy, I think it's called, but you should check it out. It's pretty good. I will. Yeah. 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 Somehow my uh, my metal and my Japanese rock tastes have never merged. I've never listened to baby metal, and I've never listened to like Japanese metal. It's time. It's time. Yes, I guess it is. So Tiberius, the, the song that, that you uh, suggested here for us is called 1741 and then in parentheses the battle of cartagena by a band called Alestorm. so what is what is your walk us through just very briefly like your history personally with this band and this song specifically why'd you pick okay. it when did you first hear it do you have any you know anecdotes or special connection with this song or this mm-hmm. band yeah so um i found them when i was pretty like already settled on metal um and the thing that drew me in is that they're uh they're they're kind of a gimmick so they do pirate metal, which is pretty odd, but they uh, they do it pretty tongue in cheek. And I listened to their first two albums. Uh, this is like on their third album that like was from a major release, and it was pretty good. But then this song is like the first song they released that was like a like a super serious historical song, and so that's what initially caught my eye for this because, like you know they they did a lot of like oh ho ho we're a pirate we're gonna throw you off the plank uh that sort of stuff and then they released this song which is like a historical ballad like smack dab in the middle of like the age of piracy and i guess for them like it it did well enough that they they've done like more serious stuff kind of like this where it's not just like tongue-in-cheek we're singing about pirates it's kind of funny and so when i first listened to the song i'm like blown away because it's like metal i already like metal it's history i already like history and it's a little more of like a a play-by-play of like what's happening which um I definitely feel like probably was a lot more common like in past eras versus now where like most songs are not like about events and they don't go through them as if you haven't heard them. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. um, So the band, they're Scottish and they started back in like the early to mid 2000s and they were initially going to be just like a metal band or a power metal band. And they wrote one, I think as a joke, they wrote like one pirate metal song and it was so successful it did so well they basically changed their entire like band outlook i guess and their entire aesthetic to be basically like oh we're like pirate power metal band now mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because of that one song and then they basically it's like it was just taken off ever since 
Um, but it, it reminded me like this era that I'm thinking about when they when they started. It was like it was like 2004. It's do you guys remember like right around the time that Pirates of the Caribbean the movie came out, and like for a short time there, like everyone was super into pirates. Did you guys remember that? It was for like a like a yeah. five or six year period. Um, yeah, I was I was pretty young. I think I was still in middle school at that point. But, oh yikes! Um, Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but yeah, like I mean, you know, there's like no like successful pirate movies that have come out other than like the Muppet Treasure Island. Um, yeah. And so when Pirates of the Caribbean came out, I know a ton of people uh, were definitely asking like you know, like our teachers who are like history teachers or like anything else, like, Oh, like what, what is there to know about pirates? Like, are they, they're cool now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Made piracy yeah. cool again. Made piracy great again. Yeah. Hey, that's an excellent callback to Muppet treasure Island. I love that show. <laughs> that, that was one that we watched a lot as a kid. So anyway, I will say one it. movie, one pirate movie that's kind of slept on is treasure planet. Not about it's a Disney one. It's kind of a slept on Disney movie, mm-hmm. but it's basically treasure Island, but in space. Oh, that that's like like the like steampunk style thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never, I haven't yeah. seen it, but I've seen I've seen like clips of it and stuff. Yeah, I, I like that, but uh, you know, just like the the pirate aesthetic, like is like there, but like very steampunk, and yeah, no one no one really tries to do it. You know, you see tons of uh, you know, like slutty pirate costumes, but you never see a, mm-hmm. a slutty steampunk one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, a, that's, that's that's actually why we started the podcast was to advocate for more slutty steampunk. It, uh, it doesn't it doesn't have to be pirate, just slutty and steampunk. Just yeah, or anything. So okay, cool. So okay. um, Alestorm, seventeen forty one, Battle of Cartagena. Um, this song is from like their fourth album, and I think the song this song and this album is like it's like ten years old or something, isn't it? it came out or no, twenty fourteen. I think is when the album came out. If I'm yeah, not mistaken. So it should be it should be around eight. I think yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. yeah yeah 20 2014 it looks like is when it came out so okay um so why don't we just go through the lyrics if you guys are cool with that yeah, yeah. it's a pretty long song so, and there's there's lots to to get through a little bit um, yeah the song the song is the song is musically dense but not so much lyric dense in my opinion because it's it's like a little over seven minutes long but it's only you know three or four verses plus a chorus so it's not too bad mm-hmm, you know right, lyric right. lyrically yeah um yeah but do, do, let's see, um, Tiberius, do you want to take verse one, man? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll just read the lyrics. Um, yeah. So it's sailing the raging seas to distant lands unknown. Um, Portobello fell in a day. Now Britannia rules the, rules the waves. 30,000 men at arms, red ensign in the sky. So Cartagena, we set sail with blood and plunder will prevail. So normally, I mean, you've probably listened to this before, but what we usually do is just kind of we'll, we'll go verse by verse and just kind of pick out anything that we think mm-hmm. is either historically significant, is interesting, or maybe just explain it a little bit more if it's not clear what it's talking about. Yeah, um, so I can I can go ahead for this one. Um, take it. Yeah, so what's really interesting to me is that um, this, this is said during the War of Jenkins' Ear, which is uh, obviously the most well-known war uh, that Britain has fought. Um, it's on everybody's mind. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually a small battle. It's actually, no, sorry. It's the largest battle in the war of Jenkins ear, which itself was part of a conflict. Um, that's the war of Austrian succession. Um, so it's, it's like during, you know, the mid 1700s when all these European powers are fighting like all the time. And this one is like, it comes at like the head of when Britain thinks they have initial like naval dominance 
and this is them sending like like 30,000 people across like from England to Cartagena which is in in Colombia that's kind of like insane to think about it's a uh, you know it's 1741 and they just sent 30,000 people to go conquer a fort across the entire Atlantic if you think about it though that's some serious projection of power though for that era oh yeah like that's that's like why it's like so insane it's like like Britain knows that like how to like project power across the the Atlantic like there's there's a ton of privateering and piracy going on while this this battle's being fought but like they send I think it's something like 52 ships of the line to go conquer a fort and they're filled with like infantry as well yeah which is which is wild and just to give like a tad a bit of context we'll, we'll I mean, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but the war of Jenkins ear, I remember like back in the nineties and early two thousands, it was always one of those things, like one of those throw out, uh, like fun fact wars that sometimes you're like, Oh, the war of Jenkins ear, huh? Yep. It's a real thing. You know, and you'd see it like on shows or in like mm-hmm. trivia things or whatever. But the, the war, the reason why it started is because at the time at, at this, at this era, so it's basically the mid 1700s, you know, 1730s, 1740s, um, the, the prevailing theory at the time, at least in Europe, was there's a finite set amount of trade and trade wealth available in the world. And so if one country has a monarchy on or a, um, a monopoly, excuse me, if one country has a monopoly on trade, then that means there's less trade to go around for the other countries. And so it's like, well, Spain, if you get 5,000 gold from the new world, then I have to get 5,000 gold from one of your other colonies because there's only so much gold to go around from all these colonies. It doesn't really make any sense, but that was basically what these, what they were basically beefing for at the time is all these countries were fighting over not only succession for their royalty, like Austrian succession, Spanish succession, but also mm-hmm. just trade rights basically and uh, in the new world. And so what had happened is, is there, there was the war of Spanish succession had ended. And part of the agreement that Spain had with England is, okay, England, you can trade in the new world with your colonies. You can trade with some of our colonies in the new world, but we have the right to basically inspect your ships to make sure there's no piracy going on. There's no black market dealings going on, things like that. And during this time, um, there was a guy whose name was Robert Jenkins. Uh, he was Welsh. And, um, the, the story goes that like in the early, I think in the early 1700s, like 1731 or something, he's, uh, he's the cap he's a captain of this ship, this British ship that's, that's traveling through Spanish waters and the Spanish coast guard basically pull him over essentially almost like a modern day cop or something. They search his ship and for whatever reason, the, the Spanish coast guard guy that pulled him over that, that, that boarded his ship and searched for illegal goods cut off his ear. Um, and allegedly, so the story goes, basically said here, give this to your King as a warning. And so Mr. Jenkins takes his ear back to England, allegedly complains to parliament, the house of Lords, all these things. And it basically starts this big kind of hoopla in England over Spanish atrocities and, and Spanish, you know, um, you know, impressing people on the high seas and all these, all these various things. And so that's why it's called the war of Jenkins ears. Cause allegedly this guy's ear getting cut off was sort of like the catalyst or like the match that, that's, that started this, this war um, that had really been kind of brewing for some time over trade. Um, is that, is that yeah. your understanding as well? I don't want to get too much into it because it's a, it's a, it's a um, super well-known war that everyone should know about. So I don't want to have to tell anyone stuff they don't, they don't already know, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was like the extra thing where it, it took them like a couple years to actually start the war because they yeah. had to 
they had to topple the uh, the parliament in, and the prime minister in charge at the time. Yeah, Mr. Walpole, because apparently he was unpopular. So they're like, oh, this guy sucks. Let's get him out and have a war over trade. And it, it, it seems foreign to us, but I guess it was this was like the common thing in, in English politics at the time. Yeah, we'd never go to war over extracting goods out of another country. Huh? Oh, no. Yeah, or because we or because we didn't like the current president. So let's have a war to make him look bad. Yeah, yeah could you imagine? That's crazy. But anyway, so it's War of Jenkins' Ear. This happens in the War of Jenkins' Ear, um, the Battle of Cartagena de Indias or Cartagena de Indias, um, and, which is a real city nowadays. It still goes by that name, and it's in modern-day Colombia, like you said. Um, but going back to the to verse 1, is there anything you guys wanted to pull out of that verse that calls to you? I mean, one thing for me, like we can talk about this a little more, but this is probably one of the only songs I like that uses like the metal growls or like the harsh vocals um, in like a, an interesting way um, because yeah. like it's, it's like singing, it's just like a normal song. But then the last line with blood and prender will prevail is like sung at like a half growl. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like a, like a war cry almost. And I'm like, Hey, like that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I don't mind like the screaming or growling. If it like, if it propels like the story or like if it like has a meaning behind it, but if it's like the entire song, I don't like that. I'm I'm okay with it. It conveys emotion. I'm an old screamo head, you guys know, so I don't <laughs> I don't I don't mind it. Um, but one one some things that I that I wanted to call out real quick about this first verse is it says Portobello fell in a day. That's referring to one of the first battles of the War of Jenkins' Ear or the War of Austrian Succession. They kind of meld together a little bit. But Portobello is a city um, in modern day Panama. Now, at the time, these were colonies of Spain, but the the British first went over there and basically kind of laid siege to this town of Portobello, which is right on the coast. And if the story is to be believed, they basically took the town in a day with like six ships, very, very little effort, basically. And so they were kind of riding high from that from that that battle. And so that's why. They're talking about raging, you know, sailing the raging seas, distant lands unknown. Portobello fell in a day. We're already we're on a roll here. Um, now Britannia, now Britannia rules the waves. Now, one thing I, I actually learned from this song, I did not know the song "Rule Britannia," which is the most British song of all British songs. It's the one that is associated with Britain more than anything else. You know that you know dun 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 dun. Mm-hmm. That's that's "Rule Britannia." Um, that song was written at this same time period, like while this war is being fought, that's when it was written. And, and, and supposedly there was like a poem or a story that was written about England winning at this battle of Portobello. And that's where the song rule Britannia comes from. And so that's why it's saying now Britannia rules the waves. It is referring to that song being written right after this battle. So some clever uh, lyrics there. Yeah. 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 30,000 men at arms. That's roughly accurate. How many guys they sent over there? The red ensign or red ensign in the sky is referring to the naval ensign of the British. Like they're, they're the flag they fly over their ships because it's basically a red flag with a little Union Jack in the corner. To Cartagena, we sail. We already talked about that. There's that, that After yeah. Portobello, they sailed to Cartagena. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, one thing that like I could be wrong on, but I do believe that Cartagena was uh, like, that was one of the, major ports that they'd send out their like treasure ships from. Yeah. And like, it's a huge fort. So the whole idea is like, let's go steal their gold. <laughs> right. Well, I was reading about it. It was, it was really interesting. Cause it, I mean, 
New, New Spain and all these all these colonies that Spain had at the time were extremely lucrative for the Spanish. In fact, it's part the Spanish became so wealthy from the New World that's partly what inspired the other European powers to even get into colonies in the New World in the first place. I mean, you've seen Pocahontas, right? That's what they that's what they talked about <laughs> in the movie. So they talk about the movie is that like, it's kind of like the the inspiration, you know, for for England getting over there is is more wealth, right? And the uh, so the the Spanish colonies would just gather all their gold and silver and all their wealth, and they basically have to like ship it back to Spain. But they they basically take it to these these port cities first, like Cartagena, and kind of gather it all up there in these treasure ships, and then sail them back to Spain all at once. So it's kind of like a like a um, I don't I'm trying to think of how I would explain it, but basically like a almost like a warehouse. You know, they they store store it all there from across the various colonies, and then ship it all out there together. And so, the, yeah, you're you're exactly right, uh, Tiberius. The, the idea was from the the British is like, well, this is like one of their best ports. Let's go take it. You know, there's there's money in it. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, it's a like, I would just love to like look at one of those ships because I think there's a there's a wreck off of one of the Canary Islands. Um, that actually has like a Spanish treasure ship um, that no one's like able to get the gold from, but it's like, it's tons and tons of gold and silver. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And they would, they would get, I mean, slaves and things as well being sent back and forth, but it seemed like it was mostly gold at at this time. Um, I think think there was some sugar as well at this point, but um, that was mostly like the Caribbean and not like um, South America, Central America. Yeah. So, cool. Should we go to verse two? Yeah. Scott, you want to do verse two? Yeah. Twice struck and twice we failed, but third time works a charm. The greatest fleet the world has seen to fight the war of Jenkins' ear. Waters lash across the bow through Caribbean seas. The year is 1741. The final battle has begun. So, I mean, it mentions twice, twice struck, twice we failed. So it sounds like they, I mean, they... They were successful in Portobello, but there were two failures before, from what I've read, to uh, to gain control of of uh, Spain controlled Caribbean or Caribbean uh, strongholds, right? To to try and get some type of uh, foothold in the Caribbean, so we can so they could uh, start extracting gold as well. Um, yeah, and it sounds like they failed a couple times before this um and they're hoping this is the third time the charm right yeah and and one part of it is because for for 1740s uh new world standards cartagena was a huge bustling city had like ten thousand people living there and it was like super wealthy but it was also like ringed with forts that's how they protected things in the day is they make these star forts these like big stone you know forts sometimes wood forts and they would basically guard various areas with covery fire on these these port cities and so cartagena was like heavily fortified but it was also extremely wealthy and fairly large and the british already tried to take it two times before and failed and so they thought okay let's just send basically every guy every ship we've got available to try and take it a third time and this time we're going to do it you know with with enough with enough gumption we'll, we'll go get it you know very very british mindset um, at the time, the, the greatest fleet the world had ever seen. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but it certainly was one of the largest that had ever sailed at this time period. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it might have been the largest to sail across the Atlantic at this time. So that that's like a pretty big milestone. Um, but what what might be interesting um, to you guys? So 
if you remember like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, like when they're showing like the Black Pearl, um, like shelling the city of Port Royal and how it's kind of like ringed by cliffs. Um, most of the the ports in the Caribbean are like that, where where there are high cliffs um, next to the port cities. And the the huge key for that is the then the forts have like a range advantage because they can fire down and their cannons will have longer range. So they can kind of hit and destroy ships that are trying to lay waste to their city without even being worried about being hit by return fire. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and, and Cartagena, I was reading about the, the actual geography of the city. There's actually two bays, like a small one and a large one, that go into the, the, the actual town. And only one of them is really deep enough for large ships to go through. But it's so narrow, only one ship can go through at a time. And there's like forts on either side. So th- this is like, think of like a castle. Like you're basically trying to attack a castle here, like but multiple castles guarding this city. So it was extremely heavily fortified. I, d- I don't think it was necessarily the wisest thing of of the the british to try and basically start with this because it's the most heavily fortified area at the time yeah again i I think i think like you said earlier tiberius it's kind of just britain being britain and thinking oh no we have hegemony with the seas we we rule the seas we are unstoppable and we'll find out they're about to be humbled very quickly yeah, and, and there's no reason why why they wouldn't think they could do it. Like considering they took, I mean, roughly thirty thousand men against the Spanish, like four thousand or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We can. I think it's. I think it's like three. Um, but they might have. They might have had some militia troops yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. Ge- I guess a generous estimation or whatever is it would be four thousand, three thousand uh, Spanish. So it's like ten times as much ma- manpower at least. So I'm sure that the British are just like, yeah, we're just gonna go like overwhelm them just with steamroll them yeah 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 mm-hmm. so so that, that's what this verse kind of conveys is like the the confidence of obvious victory coming our way just because we're we're so huge how could we yeah. lose yeah and then the next part is the chorus which i'll just go ahead and read through it quickly and then I'll, I'll do verse three because it's an actual verse but the chorus says mm-hmm. the skies are burning with thunder the seas are ablaze with flame set the course for cartagena or cartagena if it's spanish the sands of time will remember our names. The skies are burning with thunder. The seas are ablaze with flame. Set the course to Cartagena. History is written today. Um, and then verse three says, across the sea-lashed deck, our captain gives a cry. Cartagena lies ahead. The Spanish, flo- the Spanish foe will soon be dead. Portents of coming doom engulf the battle line. High above the heavens, the heavens sigh, a red light burning in the sky. Yeah, so pretty, pretty ominous. Like we can, I think we can spoil the battle at this point. But um, it's like it's building up to this battle, and the, mm-hmm. the British, the British, pretty much just lose hard. It's like a humiliation, oh, and yeah. the uh, the entire thing reason this battle is important is because if you like go read up on the War of Jenkins Ear, you're like, oh, like it ends with like a status quo antebellum, so like nothing changes. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> this battle is the reason because the British are in like a a commanding position. And they send their entire like strength, extra strength of like their navy minus like, you know, the normal like guarding your merchant ships um, stuff. And they just get smashed. Oh, they conscripted for this. They, they even impressed people from the American colonies for this war, uh, for this battle. I mean, um, mm-hmm. but one thing I wanted to call out on this one verse it's talking about specifically is that the place in the second half where it says portents of coming doom engulf the battle line high above the heavens sigh, a red light burning in the sky. That's referring to an old, um, 
like an adage or like an old rhyme that's that mariners used to say and it, it's, it's somewhat common today but it's an old saying that's red sky at night sailors delight red sky at morning sailors take warning and so it's this idea that hey if you have a red sky at night that's okay you, you know easy easy going seas or whatever but red sky at the morning be careful there's danger on the horizon you know it's, it's a bad omen if you will because this is still you know the 1740s so people are still superstitious so um, they're basically saying that the prior, just prior to this battle, um, that there's a, there's a, a red light burning in the sky. So watch out that that's, that's a, a bad omen, you know, and we'll learn that it ended up came true coming true. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing, um, that like is like kind of, you can miss it easy. It's like across the sea lash deck. Um, because I think a lot of people have this idea of what a ship is like um and sailing ships especially wooden sailing ships are are not that experience like you're going to be swamped with water if you're going in the ocean when it's anything like turbulent um your ship is built to empty the water out pretty quick but it's not it's not built where you just don't get wet these these guys uh coming across the atlantic they're going to be soaked um with seawater with rainwater and they're not like the ships are cramped themselves and so i feel like that line is like a slight reminder um for like people who like may have had some more sailing experience like oh yeah like these guys just got off like a a three-week voyage they're uh they're not having a good time yeah should we go on to verse four yeah tiberius want to do verse four man yeah an omen of dread which no man can deny the legends hold true we must turn back or die uh superstitious fools be gone from my sight blast the trumpets of war and prepare for the fight um, so that's like that's split between like the narrator and then supposedly it's supposed to be the the captain um, mm-hmm. singing the last four lines. Oh, yeah. I, I have been wondering about the song, like what, what uh, whose whose point of view are we are we hearing this from? But it sounds yeah. like it kind of switches between narrator and captain. Yeah. yeah, the the narrator for the entire song, it I mean, it isn't ever really clear that it's like supposed to be a specific person, just someone who eventually charges the the fort um but other than that i don't think they intended it to be like anything more than a representative yeah got it all right so then it has has the chorus again which is identical to the chorus we just read and then it goes into verse five which is the last verse Mm -hmm. cool uh hard to starboard man the cannons and on my command unleash hell fire show them your steel bring them to death on the battlefield ride on the wind and conquer the foe the legends be damned to our deaths. We will go. Yeah. And so, you know, pretty much a lot of them did. I think the battle ended with like 13,000 of the British um, force, like outright dying. Although most of it was disease, which is common in every war. It was almost entirely of disease. It was like, I mean, they had a lot of battle deaths as well, but even the, everyone in, everyone in this conflict, not just this battle, but this conflict just suffered so heavily from disease that they just, they, they, ceased to be a fighting force because everyone was either laid up sick in bed or just outright died of like dysentery, scurvy, typhoid, just all these various diseases mm-hmm. that you hear about. Just like some 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 uh, units in this in this battle had like an 80% casualty rate just because of disease. And it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was like um with casualties, uh uh casualties with death and and what injury sickness whatever it was like eighteen thousand, something like that british compared to like two thousand on the spanish side 
I mean, it, it kind of goes along with the with the um, numbers they took into it, but that's just it's insane the the uh, disparity there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's what's crazy about this is you think it would it would kind of spell disaster for them from the beginning because as the British are sailing over from England, they're losing men along the way from sickness. In fact, the entire leader of the entire operation dies of dysentery before the battle even begins, and that that's been a it's, it's a common occurrence kind of in this war, but primarily in this battle where anyone who's in leadership dies of sickness, like leaving their men leaderless, or they die in the battle on some crazy assault up a wall, you know? And so all the, all the soldiers basically have no, have no leader, they're leaderless on the battlefield. And the, the, the British basically just, frankly, they botched this entire campaign. Um, They had overwhelming force. It was 10 to one odds against the Spanish, they definitely had tons of experience. They had plenty of ships, plenty of guns, but there was a bunch of like inter-leadership rivalry between the different guys and the British. Like the British Admiral didn't like the guy that was in charge of the Marines or whatever. And so they would like not listen to each other's advice or not supply each other with the supplies they needed. It's all kinds of stuff like that. It's like, guys, people are out here dying. You're losing a battle because of your stupid quibbles. Um, and I think they just, like I said, I think it was like just that primarily British, oh, we rule the seas. We've got a billion ships. We'll just steamroll them. And they just were completely unprepared uh, for what the Spanish had in store for them. And it went extremely south for the Brits. So they lost like so many ships. They lost so many guys. They finally returned home to England with absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, I mean, in the beginning of the battle, like it kind of went okay with them. They caught a couple forts here or there around Cartagena, but Cartagena itself remained un- untouched, basically. And it, like they, there's at one point where they they didn't they weren't able to breach the walls with their cannons, and so they basically sent a bunch of dudes with ladders out there with no guns, and they get to the wall and realize the ladders are ten feet too short. You know, just oh man, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. It's like guys, like. I know it's 1741, but you guys are supposed to like rule this. This isn't your first rodeo, Britain. You know, like you think you'd kind of be a little more prepared, but I don't, I don't know if it's just, I think it's just a lot of it was inept leadership because so many of the guys that did have leadership skills had died that they, they had to like throw people in there who had never been in battle before or, or who had never led a battle before. And so they just completely, uh, completely botched the entire operation. And because of that, the people that, that, suffered the most were obviously the guys on the ground that, that's crazy like if i uh if i wasn't like one to believe in omens and superstitions by the end of this battle i feel like i would like the the, the fact that their leadership died kept dying their everything going wrong that's why it i mean it's brought up a lot in this song omen of dread and super and the captain saying calling them superstitious fools yeah i feel like if you're if you're going on a naval expedition for like a singular purpose and your captain dies of a natural causes that's god telling you no <laughs> yeah. yeah especially if it happens like twice <laughs> you know like in the, same, <laughs> yeah. in the same battle um yeah well and uh one so i uh that's pretty much the whole song. The song has the chorus one more time. There's a sick guitar solo in there. But as far as like lyrically, that's pretty much all they've got. Um, do you guys have any other things you wanted to call out on what we've read so far? Because I have like one or two like fun, you know, fun facts I wanted to share about about this this battle specifically. But if you guys have some some more lyric stuff you want to chat about, let me you know 
feel free to shout yeah, it out. Not so much lyrics, but more like the result of like the song and the idea. Yeah. Um, so like Britain brings like 30,000 guys. They all die. Um, they don't get anything done. And this is like the this war um, was being fought with a lot of like privateers. And this battle is kind of the thing that cements that strategy going forward um, because pirate ships are like less well manned compared to like a regular na- naval ship, especially because usually they don't have any infantry or Royal Marines. So disease is a lot less common on pirate ships, actually, which sounds a little paradoxical. And then also like usually any sort of mosquito or waterborne diseases that you might find in the Caribbean. Most of the pirates are from the Caribbean, so they've already been exposed um, so that it's actually a much more like effective use of manpower because the the rates for like privateers dying of disease are a lot lower unless they're coming from England to the West Indies for the first time. That makes sense. Yeah, it's it's like a uh, what is it? War of the Worlds where they they die from from uh, bacteria. It's like yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> if anyone uh, hasn't I, read War of the Worlds, that's how it ends. Oh, uh, yeah. it, it came out. It came out when I was a, you know, a wee lad. So I don't. Oh, I'm think talking. I had I'm talking. About, I'm talking about the book that was written in 1890. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, I was only I was only negative 200. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so some so, so after this, the British basically essentially kind of give up. I mean, they had three different attacks on Cartagena. They they're they can't get in. They do a couple other, like some coastal raiding after this, but not really anything substantial. They basically go home with like 1500 guys left. They barely, they, they actually have to enlist people who are not sailors to sail their ships home because all their sailors were so sick or dead from these diseases. Uh, there, there was a huge manpower shortage because everyone was just dying of the, of you know, scurvy and, and all these other things. Um, but one thing that I thought was interesting, at least to our American audience is that, to the, the the Brits, as they often do in a lot of these wars up until World War II, is they're this global spanning empire with access to all these different colonies. So they would basically enlist the help of their colonists as soldiers. And so they'd have people from New Zealand or Australia, or, or in this case, they had a, an entire regiment of American colonists, like guys who were from the United States that came to fought for England in this battle. And it was an entire regiment. It was about 3,000 men. And um, what it was is is prior to this assault on Cartagena, the, the crown basically called for all their colonists to basically submit volunteers to fight. And of the original 13 colonies, almost all of them sent a couple hundred guys each. You know, Pennsylvania sends 300 and Virginia sends a couple hundred and Massachusetts sends a couple hundred. And they're all put together in this one regiment called an American regiment or a regiment. It was a regiment of foot. It was foot soldiers, but it was an um, American regiment. Mm-hmm. And they all um, they all met in Jamaica to kind of like gather up and be put on ships. And then from Jamaica went to Cartagena to attack. Um, and they usually would be put under British officers um, and, and they'd have British, British officers um, leading them. But a couple of things I thought were interesting about this is there was th- about 3,000 men that were taken from the British, from the American colonies. Virginia, meaning the state of Virginia, although at the time it was the colony of Virginia, used impressment of their of their like their portion of, of soldiers to send to this war of Jenkins' ear. They literally what impressment basically means is they would get like 
former convicts or guys in jail and just go grab them and okay, you're in, you're in the army now, you're in the army now, man. Or they'd use indentured servants, like basically people, white people, not, not slaves, but white people who were um, basically servants trying to work off their, their debt to their Lord or whatever. They basically force these guys to join the military and everyone. And in fact, most of the colonies did that. Virginia did that. Pennsylvania did that. Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, all these guys were using indentured servants um, but Virginia is the only one that actually did actual impressment where you're forced to go fight. And they, they were put under the command of this, this guy, this um, Alexander Spotswood was his name. And he also died on en route to the battle <laughs> of sickness. And so they were, they were then placed under the command of this guy named William Gooch, G-O-O-C-H, Gooch. And so because of that, they're called Gooch's American Regiment. And they uh, they fought, but they they had like no battle experience. Like I said, most of these guys were like convicts, like in or out of prison recently. They were poor. Some of them were literally pressed into service, and they were not given any pay. And when they arrived in Jamaica, the the England had not, even though they were fighting for England and they had British officers, n- no arrangements were made for them to sleep anywhere or for food or for payment. they're they're basically treated like second-class citizens and when they got and then when they got over to uh cartagena they were they were known as being like the most like unruly rowdy regiment in the army for that area so much america yeah yeah, right (laughs) but so much so that the uh the brits almost didn't trust them to even go fight and one thing that one other thing i thought was interesting about this um this particular unit is some of them did fight. They were actually the ones that were forced to carry the ladders up that battle. They didn't get guns. They were forced to carry the ladders up there. Um, and one of the, like there was like 3,600 guys in this American regiment at the end of the battle, there was like 1,200. Most of them died of sickness or they deserted or whatever. Um, but one of the guys that actually did survive and actually went back, made it, made it back home to America um, was a um, was a guy named Lawrence Washington. He was from Virginia. He was a, a colonist from Virginia. Had a big plantation, and um, his name was Lawrence Washington. And he was George Washington's older brother. Dang! Or no old, way. Older half brother. Yeah. And when he got back to to Virginia after having like this completely lopsided battle against the Spanish, all of his men killed, everyone dying of sickness, everyone completely miserable, no pay, you know, for whatever reason, he renamed his, uh, his plantation, um, after the, the admiral of the battle of Cartagena. So the battle we're singing about the admiral was Admiral Vernon and Mm -hmm. he named his plantation Mount Vernon after Admiral Vernon. And that is the Mount Vernon that George Washington lived in that we all know and love here in America. That is nuts. Yeah. Isn't that wild? wild. That's crazy. Because, yeah, I'd I'd read that, like, this Vernon guy, even though he was a complete failure, he's still kind of lauded in, in, like, he was lauded afterwards in in England and stuff because they they don't necessarily count it his fault that they were defeated. Yeah. Even though it almost entirely was. was. it was the circumstances that, that happened. That, yeah. That happened one, thing him, I, one thing I thought was funny. One thing I thought was funny as well is like, okay, so Lawrence Washington, you're George Washington's brother. This was a horrible campaign to go through. And it's mostly because of your, you know, Admiral Vernon guy. Why would you name your plantation after him? 
I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that respect for your commander. But I thought that was funny. Um, that such a well, such a yeah. Or yeah, it's, it's just interesting that it's coming from both the that this uh, the American side and then like the English side. They're like in his memorial thing. It's it um, it says. And at Carthagena, Vernon conquered as far as naval forces could carry victory. So it's like it's propping them up as much as they can. Well, they're, they're basically saying, "Oh, it wasn't your fault. It was the Marines or whatever. It's some other branch, yeah. you know, inner branch." It, it, you did as much as your as as much as your navy could have done in that situation, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. I'm curious. Um, I'd want to read some primary source accounts on this, but normally, whenever I see like British accounts of like early. Or not early, but like late American colonists, like, oh, they're the most unruly lot or like they're terrible. I'm always like in my head, USA, USA, USA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the the other the other the other side of that, though, is is you're exactly right. But if you're being oh, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is not not only were these um, American colonists being treated like second class citizens, no food, not being trusted to even like fight for what they were hired to do. But they would basically make them do slave labor with the slaves. So the slaves have to like dig trenches or have to do like the like clean the bathrooms or whatever. That's what they would make the Americans do along with the slaves at the same time. And that was like just I mean a, a kind of a, a thorn in the side of all these all these American colonists who are who are basically volunteered. Well, most of them volunteered, not all of them. Virginians didn't, but most of them volunteered to fight for the for the king. And they're being treated like actual act, by actual garbage, and so it's it's very fitting that what thirty years after this after this battle, we're going to war ourselves with England for our independence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have lots of the guys who survived come back and be like, hey, like uh, you know, when Britain starts taking notice of the colonies again after the the Seven Years' War, they're like, hey, like, do you really want to be treated like we were? Yeah, and. And and it makes you wonder. I mean, maybe that's why they were unruly in the first place. Like, well, if you treat me like garbage, like a peasant, you know, rather than like a, as an equal, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I don't care who you're. I've never met your king, you know. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was interesting. So I've actually been to Mount Vernon. And I was like, oh yeah, Mount Vernon. And I didn't realize it's named after Vernon from this battle because George Washington's older brother fought at this battle and then went home and named his plantation after the admiral of this battle which i thought was interesting yeah i wonder what if there was like some you know what what kind of motivate what would motivate him to do that uh, if it was hey, like kids i i was hey kids i named it after the admiral i fought under so you always remember to never fight under the english crown again <laughs> <laughs> yeah remember all those horrible stories i tell you about it yeah. was this guy homie's homie's little brother ends up being the first president of the united of the, of the free united states like 30 years after this. It's pretty Crazy. cool. One yeah. other one other thing I thought was interesting is you were talking about Scott how like this this Admiral Vernon guy, uh Edward Vernon was his name. Um that they didn't really hold this against him, but the British were so sure of a victory that before they he had even captured Cartagena, they had just basically attacked it a couple times because the, the, the battle itself was more of a siege and it was like a 2-month long siege. Mm-hmm. But earlier on in the siege, they captured like a small fort here or there. And he sends back word to England, hey, man, we're already basically into Cartagena. And so all of like the press at the time and like uh, souvenir maker people would make these commemorative coins, a commemorative China of like, commemorating the, the British victory at this battle. And so you can actually find them now, all these like 
they're, they're fairly rare and they're worth a lot of money, but they have like these commemorative victory coins of the Battle of Cartagena for British victory at Cartagena when they didn't actually win at all. But because they thought it was such a sure, you know, a sure thing that they, um, before the battle was even over, they're already basically making souvenirs commemorating the British victory of this battle. And it's hilarious. Wow. It's got to be an awkward thing for uh, the Admiral to walk back. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. I thought that was funny. But um, that's, I think those are, those are most of my thoughts I can think of off the top of my head. I have one more modern fun fact about, about the, uh, the song, but did you guys have any other like parting thoughts or anything else you wanted to say about the song, the band or anything that I glossed yeah, I had over? some I had some stuff on like the instrumentation. Oh yeah, man, um, go ahead. I thought it was really cool. Um, I'm not sure if you like caught it, but it's like a, a like a 16 bit version of the soundtrack at the very beginning. Yeah, um, that was awesome. I was like, oh, like it's it's like setting you up as like RPG. So you're like, it's already putting people into like the state of mind of like, I am like playing a video game, so I'm going to be the character. Yeah, um, oh, but like, but like, like, like any any NES, like Nintendo, old school Nintendo era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it just goes right into the jig after that. And I'm like, yeah, hey, that was like, sweet. That's like a good intro. I had wondered what like the, the the point of that was, but that that's a that's a good theory. It, or is it a theory? Do, do you know if that's what they were intending? I don't know. I um I can't say I I've seen anything specific about them from the okay. song. All right. Well, that's a, that's a great theory, and I'm going with it. That yeah, is, that's, that's awesome. I uh, one one what that reminded me of, um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll plug here for a a band. But um, my my two of my cousins are in a band. Um, called uh crash bomb which is a, a Mega Man reference and all of their songs they're, they're a little bit more like power metal and metal and, and kind of hard rock a little bit but they uh they incorporate a original nintendo into all their songs so all their songs will have guitar and drums and singing but there's also an 8-bit element to it and it sounds very much like the intro to this song so that's what made me think of it it was awesome i loved it that's sweet so Tiberius, want to keep going? You want to keep going with the instrumentation, or was that? Um, those your I, thoughts? That's pretty much all I had. I mean, okay. I I do like that it's more of a jig, you know. So yeah, like, the entire song, I feel like if you're not paying close attention, like sets everyone up to like, expect them to win, and they don't anyway. Um, and the the jig never gives that up. I feel like it like it's always staying like happy, and it doesn't like go down at the end like you might expect it to. With everyone's death. At the end yeah. of the battle, right <laughs> the battle. Right. and I think it's uh, part of it is that it's um, coming from from two different perspectives. Where when it goes back to the captain, like like the narrator is is like giving you like kind of foretelling, giving you bad omens and stuff. But the, but the captain has to stay stay uh, positive, pushing his troop troops along. And so I think that's that's part of why I, you, you get that feeling that they could they could win the entire time, but they don't at the end. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little, um, just like thematically, of like like the Jack Sparrow entrance in Pirates of the Caribbean, where, you know, he has that awesome score swelling in as he walks off the boat as it's sinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, like, absolutely. oh, like the, the, the jigs, like it's still upbeat as they're they're uh, they're all dying. As so, the ship is sinking. It, yeah. it turns like ironic at that point. Yeah, right. that's a really good scene, though. Scott, do you have any, any part? I'll share my one thing, but do you have any parting stuff you wanted to share on, about the song? No, no, I'm just reacting to what you guys say. Okay, cool. Um, so oftentimes with stuff like this, like kind of the, the lesser known, the deep tracks of history, if you will, a lot of, a lot of us are like, well, I never learned about this in history. And you know, no, you know, who cares about the battle of Jenkins or the war of Jenkins ear? Like Americans were 
minimally involved. And it was so long ago and it's so minor and it's so much eclipsed by other things that have come up in history, like the war of Austrian succession and other wars after it, who cares now? But I was reading, um, about this, um, about this, this battle and about Cartagena, the city now, and a few months. So this, this song came out in 2014. That's when the album came out a few months after this song came out, Prince Charles, now King Charles, the third of England went on a Royal visit to Cartagena, Colombia, specifically to unveil a plaque, um, in cooperation with the city to commemorate the British dead of this battle. And one thing I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, like, like 200 years later or whatever, you know, like unveiling a plaque about a battle no one's ever heard of and a war no one's ever heard of. But apparently when he did this, he, he, he it was in cooperation with the city. He unveiled this plaque commemorating all the British dead. And a bunch of people were in uproar about it because it didn't commemorate the Spanish dead. And they, they later had to remove the plaque because of that, because the British said it was not in t- their intention to hurt anybody's feelings, but the plaque had already been like vandalized. <laughs> it's like, oh. I guess, I guess the Spaniards are still mad. <laughs> I just why should was, they be mad? They won. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's like, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, maybe it's just like a final, a final insult. It's like, yeah. And stay out. You're not, you didn't come in in 1741. You're not coming in now. <laughs> so That's I thought funny. I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of funny that like this is in 2014, so the same year this came out. You know, 170 years later, you think people would be like, okay, yeah, hey, some Brits died here, you know, a million years ago. Go ahead and put a plaque up. I don't care. But no, they were real upset about not including the Spanish, and they vandalized it and made them take the plaque away. So now there's no plaque well, there at all. But uh, why would a why would a, a British monarch? put up a plaque about Spanish deaths. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you think the city itself would do that. I don't know. You know, it's so silly, but what's also funny is like, you know what, England, how many plaques like that could you put around the world? Let's just rough estimate 10,000. I mean, how many small little battles have your, you know, sons died in for your various, you know, crown disagreements, trade disagreements, you know, colonization efforts. I mean, like you could, put plaques in every continent in the world. Yeah. Or probably most countries too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, there's a running joke that you ask, Oh, do you know what, what England's uh, biggest export is? It's English? independent in, independence days. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? Come to think about it. They should, uh, if they're and putting English. a plaque on every, on every uh, battle they lost, they should come to America. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when that's that. Speaking of that, this is something I wasn't even going to share, but I just thought of it. Is during the War of Jenkins' Ear, because at the time, um, the, what we now know as the United States was partly British and partly Spanish uh, colonies. Uh, specifically, Florida was a, a Spanish colony. Um, the Brits tried to attack some Spanish holdings in America. And so there was a couple attacks on St. Augustine, Florida. There's a fort there owned by the Spanish and the British tried to attack it. And there's actually like some Georgians, like from the state of Georgia or the, the, ter- ter- the colony of Georgia that tried to mm-hmm. attack St. Augustine, Florida um, during, during, this, during this war. And the Spanish actually made a couple incursions into what is modern day Georgia trying to like 
I guess, steal the Georgia colony from England. And so you can actually go to areas here in the US, like one in St. There's one in St. Augustine, and there's two on the coast in Georgia, where they actually commemorate this battle. And apparently, there's some city in Georgia where one of these battles was fought, and they still commemorate the War of Jenkins Ear every year, because there was one small battle fought there during this war. Yes. Yeah, St. Augustine should be like the oldest, like, permanent structure in America, I think. I think it is. I think it's the oldest, yeah, oldest, uh, yeah, oldest like occupied or oldest uh, inhabited city in the U.S. or something like that. Yep. You can go look at the old, uh, the old forts and cannons and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's all, that's all I've got. Uh, but uh, Tiberius, do you, uh, you know, parting, parting, uh, parting words here. Do you have anything that you want to? plug or share with the kids back at home or anything that you want to advertise yeah uh, actually let's plug ailstorm the the band itself um they're pretty good i like them a lot um a lot more of their songs are less serious than this i think i said that earlier but um they're definitely pretty good although if you're someone who mines um expletives uh they definitely have a lot of that too yeah yeah i saw that one of their top songs on spotify uh the song, the title has the F word in it. So yeah, yeah, that song is the title repeated over and over again. <laughs> uh, so, some of their songs are uh, like that; they're a little immature. But uh, the the ones they do well, they do really well. Nice, very cool, awesome. Um, well, well thanks, yeah, th- yeah, thanks for coming on. It, it it's been a pleasure. Really cool song, really upbeat and fun. To to the audience, if you're if you're interested, uh, hit us up. Our contact information is in the show notes below and yeah i think i think it's about it anything else sean we should no i was the only thing i was keeping no the only thing i was going to ask is um tiberius do you want people looking out for you on on twitter or on the interwebs or do you want to stay you know kind of yeah i mean i guess um, you can you can look me up at twitter at at opposite names uh don't search up tiberius because that is not in normal uh english letters so it never shows up (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm there. Uh, you can find me. Uh, I'm clearly of insane value. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll put we'll put your we'll put your your uh, Twitter handle in the show notes as well. Yeah, but thanks for having me on. It's it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. and and feel free to come back on. We like in another uh, history nerd music cell. Like it's you, you fit well here. So if you have any other songs you want to you want to uh, talk about, hit us up. For sure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. All right. And we will uh, go out with the entire seven minutes and uh, 17 seconds. Seven minutes of glory. Yeah, buckle up. Uh, and here we go.
Seven Minutes of Glory. 